Last week we discussed how Christ is better than all that came before, how he is a better covenant with him, how he is a better Moses and a better high priest, how he has a better word, how Christ is better and more central to our lives in all ways and in all things. Now, when he was discussing that at the end of chapter four, he started to talk about Paul, who, as we talked about last week, is the person I think wrote Hebrews. You don't have to hold that opinion, but I'm just going to say Paul for the sake of brevity. Brevity. Paul was discussing how Jesus is a better high priest. In chapter five, he interrupts himself from that topic of high priests so that he can give a stern warning and actually two chapters of stern warnings to the Hebrews. He says, as we heard in that first verse that we read earlier, verse five, verse 11, that they have become dull of hearing, that they have become a church which, to put it bluntly, had quite a few problems and that they were not growing in the faith as they should. If you look at our own church body, which I think is helpful to do at times, if you look at the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, just for instance, or if I was looking at the statistics, especially for the Med-South District, the district that at least the beautiful Savior Church is in right now, the statistics show that maybe there are times and places that we have become also by and large, dull at hearing. I say it by and large because I don't think it is appropriate in a sermon to to call out individuals, of course, but let alone individual congregations, let alone individual people. But I think if, again, you kind of look at the statistics, look at the broad picture of things, you can see that maybe there are times and places we have become dull of hearing. Here's a couple statistics for you. In the last 20 years, roughly 90% of church plants have failed. Only 10% of church plants have been successful. In the last 10 years, in the Mid-South District at least, average weekly attendance at your average across all the churches in the Mid-South District dropped by 30%. The average used to be about 100, now it's about 70 on a Sunday. And, of course, there are a lot of churches that have a lot less than that. And we all know stories about students who go off to college who don't end up returning to a church at all. We are blessed to have college students who come to church here. But maybe this is the most significant thing, is that if you just look at churches that open and churches that close, far more churches are closing right now than are opening. We should be opening more than we're closing, of course. Paul says it this way to the Hebrews that maybe some of them should have become teachers by now, but instead they need to return back to the basics. They need to go back to milk, not solid food. He says many should have become teachers because in his mind it is totally natural of a church, of this congregation that he's preaching to at least, that there should be at least some members of that congregation who would have gone off to seminary by now. That some of the young men of the church 
would have become themselves pastors in Christ's church and gone on to preach the gospel and open other congregations. Now, we are blessed in this congregation to have a vicar who is doing that, who is becoming a teacher of the church. But many churches don't have that blessing. And so maybe in some ways we are like the Hebrews. Maybe we also need a time of returning to basics before we can go on to a greater spiritual maturity. And so that's what Paul talks about mainly in chapters 5 and 6 is this idea of spiritual maturity. And he uses this analogy, which I think is very helpful, of babies and milk and solid food. That it is true that babies start out solely on their mother's milk, and that is the foundation of their nutrition. But it would be completely nonsensical to think that those babies didn't eventually grow into young children, and those young children would eat solid food. And if we want to extend that analogy even a little bit further, maybe those young children start out eating things like chicken nuggets and hot dogs, but then eventually they grow up and they start to like bigger and better things like steak and potatoes and casseroles and cheeseburger soup and all sorts of other wonderful things. It is natural that babies become children, become adults. And it is a lie of the devil to say that it's not that way with Christians. Whenever Jesus describes when someone becomes a Christian, he says it's a new birth, a new birth of water and the spirit. And so there are baby Christians. There are Christians who are baptized as babies. Sometimes people come to the faith later in life and they're baby Christians as adult humans. And that's fine. That's great. That's wonderful. We love it when that happens. But it would be a lie of the devil to say that they should just stay quote-unquote, baby Christians forever. That they should only ever, let's say, read the catechism and then never find out what else is in the depths and the riches of Scripture. Of course, the catechism is great, and Paul makes this point when he's talking about this, is that we don't leave behind the elementary doctrines of Christ. In fact, he calls those the foundation. Right? That's the foundation. The elementary doctrines of Christ. I think my mic is gone. That's fine. Those elementary doctrines are the foundation of what we believe. So we build the house on the foundation. But we should build the house. We should not only ever stick with just the foundation and live in a tent. We should build the house and it should be a magnificent house. We should eat solid food and it should be delectable food. We should grow in the faith. And so what we want to talk about tonight is what does this look like? What is the milk and what is the solid food? And Paul actually makes this pretty clear. So he gives a list really of what these elementary doctrines or the milk of the faith is. The things we don't leave behind, but that we use as our foundation to grow. And the milk is this. The first thing in the list is this. Repentance from dead works. And I think that means two basic things. One is that we have repentance in our lives, that we make a regular practice of confessing our sins, whether that's in the beginning of the divine service on Sunday morning, 
whether that's in private confession with the pastor, whether that's in prayer to God like we do in the Lord's Prayer, that we are repentant Christians. We repent of our sins and we receive forgiveness for them. Notice he also says from dead works. right? And I think what he's implicitly referencing there is the idea that someone could earn their way into heaven, that your works are dead before God. Your works do not please him. There's no way that you can earn your way or earn favor with God. And so we have repentance from dead works. We repent of our sins and we trust only, and this is what he says next, faith toward God. We trust only in Jesus Christ for salvation. That we have absolute trust in Jesus Christ for all things. For creating us, for redeeming us, for sanctifying us, for all things. Now the list from here, I think those two things are pretty basic. I think repentance and belief in the gospel, that's what all Christians everywhere kind of agree on are the basics, and so does Paul here. The next couple things that he talks about, however, are interesting to me because they do seem a little maybe more distinctive, and maybe there's things that we don't always consider as absolutely elementary, but he does. The next thing in the list is the doctrine of baptisms. So first of all, of course, what we believe about baptism, that it's our identity in Christ, that the waters of baptism empowered by the word of God save us, that there is forgiveness of sins in that water. But notice what he says there that I just find particularly interesting. He says the doctrine of baptisms. One, he's talking to Hebrews who have a history, right, of these ritual washings. So I think maybe one of the things that's going on in their congregation is that they didn't want to give up the ritual washings of the Old Testament ritual law. And they wanted to include those as part of baptism. But it's also interesting to note that we do have somewhat of this problem in American Christianity today of re-baptisms. Right? And people having multiple baptisms. And so I think this is one place where we could look and say there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And part of the doctrine of baptisms is that there should be only one. He continues on with these elementary doctrines, these foundational things. The laying on of hands. Now that's something that we maybe don't talk about as much in the Lutheran church, but maybe we should. The doctrine of ordination, that the church calls pastors and the church makes pastors by other pastors laying on their hands, as Paul describes it elsewhere, as a giving of the gift of the Holy Spirit, a special gift of the Holy Spirit and the laying on of hands. And we do at least have in our catechism the office of the keys or what pastors are called to do when they're ordained to speak in the stead of Christ, and to forgive sins. And so this is a foundational thing. I always make the point that Jesus spent a lot of his three years of ministry off alone with the twelve, training them to be pastors. And three of the books in the New Testament are entirely dedicated to Paul raising up and encouraging other pastors, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And so this must be a foundational thing for us, is the doctrine of pastors. And then finally, the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. I think 
modern Christianity often wants to shy away from this aspect of Christianity, that there will be a judgment, that some people will go to hell. This is a foundational understanding of God's wrath and of sin in our faith. And so those are the foundational things. That's the milk. And if we ever kind of lose sight of those things, we are called here to return to those things. To always have those things be our foundation. Repentance, faith, baptism, ordination, resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. Notice how it kind of follows the creed. Interesting, isn't it? But then what about the solid food? What does Paul want to move on towards with the Hebrews, building off of that foundation? He says, let us go on to perfection. If God permits, let us go on to these places. Well, first of all, he says that the person who's only on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So what does it mean to be on solid food? It means, therefore, to be skilled in the word. And I want you to think about that idea of skill. What does it mean to be truly skilled, to be a master craftsman or a master, have a mastery of a skill in something? It means that you know it inside and out, right? It means that you know it backwards and forwards and upside down. And if we want to be spiritually mature, this is what we should strive for in the word. There have been tons of Christians throughout history, and there's nothing wrong with this, But it's true, there have been tons of Christians throughout history who have never read the entire Bible or who really maybe only know a couple basic Sunday school stories in the Bible or who know these basics, right, about repentance of their sins and faith and baptism and of eternal judgment. But they don't really know the word that well. Maybe they don't have verses memorized or they don't, couldn't tell you what all books are in the Old Testament, what books are in the New Testament. But spiritual maturity does involve skill in the word. And to get there, what do you have to do if you want to develop any skill? You have to practice that skill. And so we should do that if we're striving towards spiritual maturity. We should practice the skill of the word. This means definitely reading it every day, studying it, Right, coming to Bible studies, things like that. But also looking at how we could develop our skill in the word by things like memorization. Right? How can we be more and more in the word that it becomes intimately part of us? How can we study it that we would know it backwards and forwards? We don't have to memorize the entire thing, of course. But you could be skilled. Think about Just think about one thing you could do to get a better skill in the Bible. Could you memorize one verse a week? Could you memorize the books of the Bible? Could you go through those books and kind of figure out and remember and learn kind of what each book is about in the Bible? And just have a basic understanding of those things. And start to develop one of those skills. You don't have to do it all at once. No no one becomes totally skilled in something overnight, but you can become skilled in something over time. And this is the point about spiritual maturity, right, is that this isn't something that's absolutely necessary to go to heaven, right? You can be just on milk, but don't you want to grow up? 
Don't you want to get better at these things? The next thing he mentions is discerning good and evil. The person who's skilled in the word and the person who eats solid food is able to daily discern evil and good. They're able to look out in their life at all the things that happen to them in their life on a daily basis and discern what is for their good and what is from God and discern what is evil and what is from the devil. And this is, by the way, Luther gives this advice in the small catechism. Right? He says, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. So build on these foundations, right? Build on the foundations of the Ten Commandments and the table of duties. Build on these foundations and start to consider in your life where there is good and where there is evil, where you need to repent and what you can grow in. And make a daily practice of this. A good book on this is the Proverbs. Right about applying the wisdom of the Bible to daily practice of our lives when it comes to relationships and finances and all sorts of other things. Now, if we continue on, remember that Paul had interrupted himself to give the Hebrews this warning. And the reason he interrupted himself is because he realized what he was doing was talking about something that is a little more complicated, a little more for the spiritually mature. He was talking about Christ as high priest. And it is true in one sense, you could go your entire Christian life without ever meditating on the idea of Christ as high priest. But Paul wants to go there. He wants you to have this understanding about Christ after the order of Melchizedek. And so he gives a warning reminds them that we need to go on to spiritual maturity. And then he goes on to something that is spiritually mature. But I think it's very nice here because it gives us a taste of what spiritual maturity can look like. It gives us a taste of the beauty of the richness of the Bible. And so just briefly, we can remember the story of Melchizedek and see what Jesus is doing here as he is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So if you have to you have to do a little bit of Bible work here, but remember the story of Melchizedek. Back in Genesis, Melchizedek was this priest who kind of came out of nowhere and who blessed Abraham and who spoke this blessing over Abraham and Abraham and the the priest Melchizedek he brought this holy bread and this holy wine uh, to have a feast with Abraham, and then Abraham gave him a tithe of everything that he had, a tenth of everything that he had. And remember, Abraham was very rich, so he gave Melchizedek quite a lot. And then Melchizedek kind of disappeared. But then we compare that priest, and this is what Paul's doing here, he compares that priest, Melchizedek, to the other priests in the Old Testament, the ones after the order of Aaron the ones who came later on after Abraham by the law of Moses. And those priests would offer these daily sacrifices, first for their own sins, because they were weak, and then for the sins of the people. And those priests came from the tribe of Levi. And what Paul says here is, those sacrifices and those priests, they would never fully do. They had to be offered daily. Those priests were weak. They would never pay for all the sins. And so Jesus is our high priest who came to replace those priests. 
And because he came from a different tribe, because he didn't come from the tribe of Aaron, because he came from the tribe of Judah, and because he did not come as a demand of the law like the old high priest did, but because he came by a promise that the Father made for the new covenant, as Psalm 110 prophesies about Jesus, he is the priest forever after the order of not Aaron, but of this mysterious priest, Melchizedek. And today he comes to us. Now he comes to us with holy bread and with holy wine, a holy feast. And now he comes to us that we could tithe to him. And most importantly, he comes to us as one unlike those Aaron high priest, unlike those Levite high priest, he comes to us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and higher than the heavens. And he does not have to offer daily sacrifices, first for himself and then for the people. He did it all. As Paul says, once for all, when he offered up himself. And so we do not have a high priest of weakness. We have a word of promise, which came after the law. A word of oath to the Son who has been perfected forever. And so if you want to go on to perfection, like Paul says, it starts with the Son who has been perfected. If we want to go on from milk to solid food, then we should start with the one who gives us all the nourishment that we need in his body and his blood. And so, if God permits, let us go on to solid food. We should all strive for this. We should all grow up. None of us should remain baby Christians. The good news is this, is that Christ has made the way for us. And Christ goes ahead of us. And by his help and by his spirit, we can and we will grow. To him who has been perfected forever, be all the honor and glory. Amen.